How about sometime I just do like a 12-minute children's sermon? They're more entertaining and a lot more fun to do. I am not a fan of Hamlet, in spite of the title to today's sermon. And I'm not talking about the, the, the play. I'm talking about the guy, Hamlet. The one who could not make up his mind what to do. He couldn't decide on a course of action and kind of let the world around him guide that. And that's, that's no way to live, I'm sorry. But to be or not to be, when Hamlet asks it, is should I live or should I not? You know, which is best? Well, we can ask that about a lot of things. We can ask that about the way we live. We can ask that about how we arrange our garden, this way or that way. We have choices. So this morning we're gonna talk about the kinds of choices that are available to us. Anybody here know who the Seleucids were? Oh, I get to be smart today. I'm not that smart, I looked it up. After Alexander the Great died, his Greek empire was divided into three parts and there was a particular group that kind of existed on the east side of the Holy Land and they were called the Seleucids. They were a Greek group of people. And they and the Ptolemies, who were in Egypt in that area, were always fighting over the Holy Land. The Holy Land was really a good spot. You could collect a lot of taxes there because everybody going east or west had to go through there. So you could charge a lot of people a whole lot of money. Well, they had this king toward the end of their reign called Antiochus Epiphanes IV. You hear that name, you know it's a king. I don't understand why nobody names their children Antiochus anymore. I think it's kind of a cool name. But Antiochus had this thing about himself, as a lot of kings do. He believed that not only was he a king, he was also a god. And so, to that end, he made all kinds of rules about how people had to live in the Seleucid Empire, and at that time that included the Holy Land. And he made you know, little rules like, uh, not only do you make offerings in the temple to God, he didn't like Jews. He said, but you also have to make offerings in your temple to me. And to make it even worse, he said they had to sacrifice pigs. Now that's an unclean animal, not allowed inside the temple, cannot pollute the altar with a pig. And the whole point was just to upset the Jewish people as much as he could. He really, truly did not like them. And then the final straw was he built a statue of himself and put it in the temple. Ooh, you guys know how important that is. I heard so, ooh. Yes, it's, an, it's a woo kind of a thing. 
He put that in the temple. And that was, as you might imagine, that was the last straw for the Jews. That was it. It does not matter now what you do to us. We are taking up arms against you. We'll probably lose. And we don't care. So they took up arms and they ended up being led by a group known as the Hasmoneans. Primarily a guy named Judas Maccabeus. Judas was his name. Maccabeus means the hammer. You kind of want a guy leading your army who's known as the hammer. That, that inspires a lot of confidence. So they fought back and forth for years. Uh, and basically the Jews fought very well against the Greeks. It was kind of a 50-50 thing until the Jews started getting to the point where they were running out of guys. The Greeks could call on the other portions of the Greek empire that were split off and get more guys and just keep funneling troops in until the Jews ran out of people. But they had an idea. They went to this place, this little city-state called Rome. And they went and talked to the people in Rome and they said, we really need some help. And we've heard that you make treaties with people and help protect other countries. And the Romans said, of course, we'd be happy to. The only rule is we will come and be your protector, but if we get in a fight, you need to help us. The Hasmoneans said, that's, that's only fair. So it all worked out for them, and they did actually beat the Seleucids. And over time, the Seleucids kind of faded away. But Rome sent their soldiers, and they forgot to leave. They forgot to leave for over 400 years. See, that was the problem when you made a deal with Rome. You were really kind of making a deal with the devil. They will come to your country, but they will not go away. I'll talk to you after church, okay? Just like we did last week? Okay, you can walk out with me and everything. There's another situation worth considering, and that's called the lottery. Hey. People say it's a tax on the poor. I say it's a tax on people who can't do math. <laughs> Good. You're there. I saw a program once called The Lottery Ruined My Life. And here's what happened, and it seems to happen all across the board. Imagine that you suddenly had a billion dollars that you hadn't had before. Can you imagine all the old friends and lost relatives who might turn up? Yeah, you're going to meet second and third cousins you didn't know you were related to. You'll discover brothers and sisters you didn't know you had. They're going to come out of the woodwork, and they're going to all want a piece of it. Then you're going to get charities and politicians calling you, as if they don't do that enough already. You're going to get people showing up with these wild ideas about what you can do with all that money and make even more money. 
And then your best friend's going to come along and say, I want to start an auto dealership. And they'll expect you to go, how much do you need? <laughs> when what you really should be saying is, what do you know about dealing with cars? Because I'm going to invest carefully. Or they want to open a nightclub, and you see this, bless their hearts, with a lot of professional athletes. They get into businesses they don't know anything about, and that temptation is going to be there. And besides that, you're going to have people coming out of the woodwork to manage your money for you because they care. I have no problem with money managers making a dollar. That's what they do for a living. Everybody deserves to earn a living. But you're always going to get some in there. It might be a little shady. So you got to hire a business manager to watch the business manager who keeps an eye on the accountant, who keeps an eye on the other accountant, who watches your accounts in the bank. Then you're going to need a broker who will watch your accounts in the stock market. What these people learned was the same kind of a lesson the Jews learned with the Romans. What they thought would make them free actually became their master. And they became enslaved. Does that have to happen if you win a billion dollars? No. But it's a whole lot easier for it to happen that way. They've traded basically one form of slavery for another. And it doesn't have to be that way. The, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is a treasure that has no price. You can't put a price on it. <clears throat> Mabry, Miles. Thank you. People will give up, according to Jesus, everything to get it. That's how valuable it is. And some people who have it won't take care of it. They don't realize what they have. But unless they give everything they have and everything they are to that kingdom, they're probably enslaved to something else. Remember that old saying, your heart is where your treasure is? Whatever you put a great value on, that's where your heart goes. The slave doesn't own their master. The master owns the slave. The good news is that we get to choose our master. The bad news is we don't choose well a lot of the times. You probably think, I'm not a slave to anything. You know, you know that's a trick question right there. We're all slaves to something. If we think we're not slaves to anything, we're lying to ourselves. All we have to do is just look a little bit more carefully at how we live and who we are. We all have treasure of some kind. Maybe it's physical treasure, maybe it's emotional treasure. It doesn't matter what it is. Wherever that treasure is, our hearts are. Because that's what matters to us. And often, our treasure can actually prevent us from living the gospel and following Christ. Because that treasure is too precious to give up. 
It's important to us and we don't want to let it go. But the kingdom of heaven is something we should be willing to give up everything for. There is nothing we can have in this world that is worth the kingdom of heaven. You can't buy it because it's priceless. The problem is we have to wait for it. And we're people, we don't like waiting very much. But that's exactly what Jesus requires of us. If you have an attachment, let it go. Jesus wants all of our loyalty, all of our love. And he wants us to drop all of our loyalties and love to things that are not God. Give them up. Because when you don't, they become your master. The Jewish revolt was necessary. The Jews just had to do something. Because they were fixed on a particular idea of how freedom really worked. They didn't find their freedom in God. They found their freedom in being free of oppressors. And Jesus comes along while the Romans are still in Palestine and Judea. And Jesus comes along and says, they don't matter. It doesn't matter that they want you to pay your taxes or they'll kill you. Jesus says they can have your money. That's fine. I'll pay them my money too. But they can't have the kingdom of God. And they can't replace the kingdom of God. The freedom they promise is not real. So lottery winners, their lives get turned upside down because they have this particular vision of what freedom is. Financial freedom is freedom from everything. Would swear that were true. But they're each committed to this idea, this vision of what it is to be free, and it consumes them and ultimately disappoints them. It doesn't work out that way. So what if the ancient Jews had enslaved themselves to God alone and trusted God to provide them freedom? Maybe not the kind of freedom as they defined it. Maybe there's another way to be free. Maybe there are things that are more important to shed. Lottery winners saw that money as just another one of life's oddities in took it upon themselves to share, they might not become slaves to it. Well, the Jews could have been slaughtered, lottery winners could go broke, and they were, and they do. But if we're focused only on our lives and only on money or anything else of that nature, we're not focused on the kingdom of God. And our money and our idea of freedom can actually become our master and we become enslaved to what we thought was going to be freedom. So I would say take some time and do some introspection. Ask yourself, what if we enslaved ourselves to God? That's a novel idea. 
Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi once said, Christianity is a brilliant idea and a brilliant way to live. Someone should try it. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because it's true. None of us are really very good at it. But God invites us to live in God's grace so that we can practice without fear. So that we can continue on and enslave ourselves to God. What if we let go of those attachments and realize they're temporary, they don't last forever? And what if we enslaved ourselves to seeking out the one treasure that can guarantee our freedom? Think about it. Amen. I changed the order this morning. That's why I got confused earlier, because I was going to do something different. Now compare this to the sermon you've heard. The first scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 6. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And our gospel is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45. Listen to what Jesus has to say. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. The treasure and the pearl are the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. <clears throat> the reconciliation of humanity through Jesus Christ makes it plain that enslaving poverty in a world of abundance is an intolerable violation of God's good creation.